And I'm Ken Edwards, the Rune Walker, along with my uh, dogs, Cody and Henry, who got very excited during that drumming and howling <laughs> session. Uh, but they were a little nervous about chiming in. I well, I I Cody got nervous. Henry started to growl. So I uh, <laughs> we we were tapping into something animalistic. Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we well, clearly welcome, are, are following up from our last episode and uh and inviting our wolves to be present uh absolutely in fact I, you know when we were chatting i think that uh it's been a really interesting way for me to look at now moving into the future working with destiny and destiny being you know a, a, a wolf that goes ahead of me and howls back and um, you know what that looks like and sounds like and I think that um, really looking this week uh, using that in our in our question is going to be really fun yeah so how far would you like to send our wolves and uh, ask them uh, to howl for us well I think that the <laughs> the fun thing um and I'm sorry, the very pagan thing for us would be to go to our next uh, Sabbath or uh, holiday, uh, which would be spring equinox, which I can't believe is uh, that close. Right. So today is in bulk, uh, the beginning of spring, and we're shifting from uh, the element of earth to the element of air. Uh, and I like asking our wolves to travel to the equinox and help us uh, navigate our way from this cusp to another cusp. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see if the um, being in the element of air where air has its strength, if what the difference is now uh, in hearing the howl and the tone of the howl versus hearing it at a time of year where uh, one of the other elements is more uh, present. I wonder if we kept doing this, if uh, if that if our animal guide changed. Like I wonder, oh, that if would wolf, be. you know, both you and I are are very connected to wolf. But you're right, wolf communicates very much through voice, which is the element of air. Uh, I think it'll also be interesting if we keep doing this to see if that animal changes, like when we come into the element of fire or the season of fire. Yeah. I think, um, cause you know, like I can definitely see a whale for water. Yeah. Um, uh, or seals or something that communicate via the, the uh, sonically uh, underwater. Yeah. 
Um, and then, you know, like even um, moles underground would be is interesting during that time of year. I don't know. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, I like working with wolf and, and since that seems to be uh, aligned with how you and I are both relating to air. Um, yes. I like the idea of, of asking them to go forward to the equinox and how back to us here at the eve of in bulk. Yeah, I like it. Helping. Uh, so uh, our question is help us to um, the way I think we described it earlier. I, the way I described it that made sense to me was it's like getting a phone call from your friend saying, Hey, we're going scuba diving. So you know what stuff you need to, to take <laughs> if you're going scuba diving, Hey, we're going hiking. You know what stuff to take when you're going hiking. So I'm looking for, the howl back that tells me what I need to bring so that the journey between here and um, spring equinox, I'm prepared. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Cool. So. so are we jumping right in, into our tools? It sounds like we're ready for them. I, I, yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So from the howl of the wolf at Equinox, what tools do I need to gather for my journey to that time? Is that right? Yes. Okay. That's yes. So I, uh, you know, reached my hand into the bag and I shake them all around and then um, whichever ones stay in my hand when I feel like it's appropriate are the ones that come out. And there was only one today, uh, uh, which I'm a little fascinated at uh, because I actually thought it the answer, not that it won't be more complex, but I thought it would maybe involve a little bit more complexity. But if it doesn't, then that's great. Well, you never know. Each room contains a universe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What's happening on your end? Uh, well, I was shuffling and two cards fell out of the deck as I was shuffling. So uh, those Jumpers. are the two, I think, for today. Yeah. You want me to tell you what they were? Yeah. All right. So uh, I pulled two. I'm not sure exactly which came out first because I just let them fall and I had my eyes closed. Um, but the two I got are the Queen of Pentacles and I got the Five of Cups again. Uh, oh. so, so the Five of Cups from last week was uh, the card of there's a face. She's either on the shoreline or deep underwater. And a wave is crashing over her, and there are uh, white horses coming out of the foam. Yep. Uh, and I had mentioned that that card to me always reminds me of the last unicorn, and uh, kind of the message of the last scene of that movie is that the magic is returning, and um, it's it's not a particular the magic is returning to me. It's like now I live in an enchanted world again. Um, hmm. so that's one of the cards that came out. The other card that came out, the queen of pentacles, 
Um, she is a major, arc- or, I'm sorry, a minor Arcana card, um, but she reminds me a lot of uh, the lady um, or the mother uh, in the major Arcana. She's very much that Gaia, uh, mother nature, um, fruitfulness, bounty, abundance, uh, you know, the one who holds the cornucopia. Um, it, to me, this is the goddess as uh, as mother, as opposed to as crone. Crone is a lot sound when it's the harvesting, it's the cutting away. This is uh, a different phase of um, the life cycle when you are um, giving birth and nurturing the young. Yeah. Yes. So I would see this as the way that I would read this for our question today is um, that uh, to find my wolf, I have to remember I live in an enchanted world that is full of life and my approach in engaging it would be to how do I nurture the life that is just starting to um, um, awaken? Yeah. Interesting, because I see um, I see our interaction with the seasons and the growth seasons is um, much like um, taking a new lover. So the, the process is the same. Um, and so we, we know it's kind of like that. So we know that this time of year, this is happening and we have to do, um, oh, this is coming out wrong, I think. Well, um, I think you're talking about, um, the flirtation like as you're talking about taking a new lover i'm like oh i just got projected to beltane um and what happens that beltane happens is there's uh you you're kind of doing a mating dance or a flirtation through this season and at beltane you've chosen your lover yes yeah yeah so this and, and, is kind of that flirtation, uh, you know, dancing with different people and seeing who you really connect with. Yep. Does that feel right? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and the, and the fact that it's cyclical, like we've been here before. Yeah. And, and, you know, we kind of continue to, um, go through the, the process, uh, again, every, every year and, um, so the magic is always there. It's uh, that at the moment we're in a different phase of our interaction with um, with it, and because it's in a different phase of itself, uh, meaning the the cycles of of the earth. Well, I think we're back in the point of discovery. That's what you're talking yes. about about taking a new lover. Is that yes. Uh, you know, even in long-term relationships where you may not be changing partners, um, what I noticed as a marriage therapist was people who had been married for a while uh, would sometimes, and keep in mind, people who were coming with to me came because they were having problems in their relationship. Right. And the problem that I often saw was that you've been together so long, you no longer believe that your partner can surprise you. 
It's like, um, I know who you are and there's nothing new to learn or discover about you. And when you don't act the way that I expect you to, or that I would predict you do it, instead of it becoming like at the newness of a relationship, that's like a new discovery that creates greater interest. It's almost like in a longer term relationship, I'm not, I'm no longer open to discovering something new uh, because that doesn't interest me. It actually threatens my perspective of who you are. Yes. And so how can we cycle and be flexible in a way that uh, we are always looking f- to discover something new, even in those things we think we know ultimately? Yeah. Yes. Um, I had not looked at my rune until moments ago. <laughs> and of course it's not is. So, um, the, the rune of friction and sex, sex and tension and lusty and, um, um, longing to be fulfilled and, and focus and desire. Um, the interesting thing is that I have a, when I teach um, my class on the runes, one of the meditations in the workbook is a meditation that um, you go into your meditative state, you um, see you um, your awareness is that you are in a room that's like a wood workshop. And so um, there are tools to the side of you on the table. There's a piece of wood in front of you that is in, still in the form of a, in the shape of the log that it is. And um, you blindfold yourself and you feel the tools and you don't need to know what the tools are because you already know what the tools are. You just let them intuitively speak to you and you blindfold yourself and you go about shaping this log into um into whatever you're creating and uh you do it by intuition and feeling and of course there's um there could be burning toward the end if you're doing a a a charring technique there could, there's going to be some cutting, there's going to be some scraping, there's going to be friction. If you had a chainsaw, there's going to be some, you know, heat produced from the chainsaw. And it's all about allowing the thing that wants to be created that you have inside of you to come out through your process of creation without visually uh, guiding it. Right. And so your actions that, are guided by what the thing that wants to be born directs you. Yes. And, and yeah. those, and the direction comes through our our the touch of our fingertips on the wood. It comes through our gut feeling of, yes, I should do that here. Yes. I should do that there on the wood. It doesn't come from a visual uh, way, which I think is funny. Cause I think that ties back into um, last episode uh, when we talked about not being able to see the target or see the wolf, but we're called to it. Yeah. So I think uh, for myself, if I'm kind of uh, 
and trying to answer my own question uh, that we posed in the beginning, the one of the things I'm looking at is that uh, I need to um, make sure that I pack my uh, instinct or my emotion or my instinct and my uh, intuition or my emotions um, and really am paying attention to my body in terms of letting it guide me to that voice. And that's super appropriate because I think I mentioned last time I had a, a reading with my, with uh, my friend and she had told me, you know, whatever excites you, whatever piques your curiosity, whatever seems to feel passionate for you is what you need to go with if you're trying to make decisions on which way to go. So if I'm standing in the forest and I'm completely drawn to this stream or this meadow versus going to staying on the path that goes up around it, then I need to decide to go there. But that comes from my body, not from my vision. Yeah. So it's all about, it's about embodying my, no, that's wrong. It's about paying attention to, um, what's already what embodied. Body. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. As you're talking, I'm like, I'm, I'm on a stage doing improv. Um, and the kind of improvisation that I do is theatrical and, uh, the theater where I am, uh, the way that they teach improv, it's called sound improv, uh, which is funny because we're talking about, uh, the element of air and voice this sound is not about voice it's about sound being like good foundation um but the the whole process of what they're teaching it's not actually tools they're teaching it's a way of being that makes you open to discovering things so the kind of improv that uh, we're doing is a little bit different than most people would experience in like a comedy club where uh, that's very game based. You're trying to find the game and the interaction and the playfulness, but there's not like an overall story of the show. It's just like little scenes and vignettes. Uh, what we do are full length plays. So it's about how a story progresses um, from the beginning to the end. It's very long form um and as you are creating you never know where you're going exactly uh you don't know what the story's about until it's over and the thing that is always magical and always keeps me uh excited about doing it is that there always does seem to be a story at the end of it that i didn't even know we were creating until the end That's funny because you, when um, this was several episodes ago, you said to me, we were discussing the way that we um, manifest and you work through it and then do it. And I just do it and then figure it out as it happens. Yeah. Or, or look back on it and say, oh, that's how that worked. So that's what I thought of when you were just talking about that. Well, I think that, you know, last week you were really talking about, um, it, you know, the journey, not the destination and, um, you know, the difference between uh, like having a goal or setting your mind on something and taking action. And I think that, you know, I've been very socialized about envision where you want to be and then figure out how to get there. 
And this is almost the exact opposite. It's kind of like what you were talking about, about our whole way of setting goals and um, manifesting needs to change. And uh, for me, anyway, I think this is the change for me is that it's, it's, you don't have to be as clear about the destination as most of the manifestation uh, teachings have taught you. You have to be present to what is, engage in it, and be aware that you're making choices everywhere along the way. Like the story that is the outcome of a long-form play uh, is an outcome of what every actor's choice has been and how every other actor responds and either builds on it or dismisses it. And so I can see at the end of a play what the story is. I can also see how the different choices arrived, we arrived there. And I'm also aware that had any one of us made different choices, it would be a different story. I think that's one of the things that intrigues me about what you do um, with improv and on stage, because that, to me, the level of awareness um, of what's happening and also the ability to intuit and read the energy of what's happening underneath the words um, is such a talent to um, to be able to to hold to hold that. Yet that's the same kind of thing that we. It's the same. Um, tools to apply to our, our everyday life, not just to being an, an improv artist. Yeah. Well, life is improvised. We just don't yes, always approach you. it that way. Right. Yeah. Yes. Cause my planner tells me where I should be at what point And I don't, you know, I need to be here by the time I'm 30 and here by the time I'm 35 and blah, blah, blah. And we are, we, it's already set up for us. Yeah. And to me, it's, it's when things become magical, you know, when I get to goal focused, um, and create a plan to get to my goal, um, it, it's like, um, it feels very regimented. It feels like there's not a lot of room for error. There are right choices and, and wrong choices. Whereas, um, my experience of improv is, uh, there really aren't any right or wrong choices. Um, it's just a choice and different choices will lead you to different, uh, overall story. Um, and there, there's something really freeing about that. And it also seems to allow more space for that magical presence to be felt. You know, when I create a structure and a schedule and a strategy, um, there's not a lot of room for nuance or surprises. Surprises actually take me off track. But when I come to a place where, okay, I'm going to be in a creative place and I'm just going to follow the choices and listen for the how, um, you know, there still are many different ways that you can find your wolf. I can start off in what I think is a straight line or, you know, what if directly in front of me when I hear the howl of the wolf is a big old mountain and I go well I'd rather go around that than over it I'm still charting a course to my wolf it's just not the most direct course yeah what 
What if excitement and passion is what we feel when we encounter magic? Uh, yes. So it's easy to follow the magic, but it takes courage. Yes. So and that's confidence. the other part. Con- yeah, confidence. Yeah. 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 I'm just taking that in. Sorry. Yeah. I'm just taking all that in and going, okay, this is, um, you know, uh, combined with last week and, and this week is all very altering for me in the perspective of how I've approached life. So all of this is, is, uh, very transformative, uh, or, or indication of maybe it's just like a uh, playing out how the transformation is happening. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it it feels um, it feels more expanded. You know, when I've thought yeah. about goals, goals goals tend to be. I'm thinking about what I'm trying to achieve and how do I get there and not necessarily uh, like I may have my reasons for that and the reasons might be altruistic or not. Um, But there's something about when you don't hold um, the destination so closely, like when you send something else out there and they're just kind of communicating back to you, there's so many different choices about, um, you know, what steps to take to get there, that the direct line might not always be the one that you would choose. If I'm in an exploratory mood, maybe I want to take a little tangent and I will find something wonderful there that if I were only just set on the most direct, most efficient route, I would have missed that magic. Yeah. So it feels a lot, it feels a lot less like work and more like play. Yeah. Yes. Which is when sex happens best, I think. Well, and didn't we, um, at one point we talked about work versus, uh, practice versus work. When you approach tasks like, um. I'm practicing instead of like, oh, this is my work and my job. So I can practice some sex if I, you know, that'd be great. Well, I'm even thinking about loosening it even further and instead of practice play. Like, uh, so this is what I'm thinking. There was a time uh, when I was a therapist where I had a connection with um, a doctor who worked on infertility issues. And so I, Uh, So a lot of my practice was dealing with couples who were uh, struggling to conceive and were using all kinds of different methods. And one of the things that I really noticed that could really affect uh, their satisfaction, a lot of those folks were having more sex than they'd ever had in their lives, except that it wasn't this pleasant, wonderful bonding experience. It was like sex became this chore. 
okay are you ovulating okay i guess we better go have sex (laughs) um you know it took a lot of the spontaneity and playfulness and exploration and discovery out of it because it now had this um this end point of this is what we want to achieve um and you know, when sex no longer is the way that you connect and are playful and let go of the shoulds, um, then you really have something really gets missing. It's when couples would have, I would see more conflict happen. And it was usually because, well, sex is the way that we create without, or the way we connect without agenda. As soon as it is no longer without agenda, it becomes work. Yeah. Um, so I had a friend once, and this was a little while ago, and um, he and his uh, partner were helping uh, good friends of theirs. And um, they were a lesbian couple and they were trying to um, have a child together. And so my friend, um, they asked him if he would, you know, donate his sperm. Um, and so he said, yes. So they were trying, I, 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 I say the old fashioned way. And by that, I mean, turkey baster, okay. um, not, you know, in vitro or any of those things. And so he was, t- you know, we were talking about it once a, a while ago and he, um, he would say, you know, we would, they do it. And then the ladies come over, pick up the cup and go home and, and try and do it that way. And, um, my, um, the impressions I received, not understanding necessarily at that moment, what that meant for me, but, um, before I knew how to translate my abilities and shit. So, uh, what I got was, there was something very interesting about, I said, you know, she, there's something interesting about the, uh, the turning on the getting the body revved up, the getting the body ready to receive the, the pleasure, the stimulation, the, all of those things into receiving that, the, the sperm. And I, I had kind of said to him in not so many words, I'm like, I think, I think you might have to do it the old, the old, old fashioned way. <laughs> um, and um, the, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, that it was not an option. Um, but I, I said, I think that that's part of maybe the challenge in this situation is that there's no friction. So let's, we're all back to Noth is um, there's no friction. There's no um, uh, stimulation. There's no desire. There's no passion it's all about the work like yeah. you just said. And so yeah. when you were telling, that's the story I thought of. Cause I, I, I'm like, I knew I'd had a personal story of that before. And um, it can be, uh, you're right. You know, um, you could be having as much sex as you, the more sex in your life than you've ever had, but it's only to get pregnant. It's not for the pleasure of it. And it, and, and your body, your mind really does have control over a lot of those things that happen in your body and your body's like, listen, you can't fucking fool me. Right. It's interesting.
So I have a question for you. Okay. We, I pulled my rune kind of based upon um, a tool to get me through to spring equinox. Okay. Um, maybe we can repull okay. and pull and say what's like a, a, um, in general something for the majority of our listeners to help them get through to spring equinox. Unless you feel like you've already pulled that. Uh, no, I don't. As, well, I actually think this, uh, this mother card might be that. Um, hmm. I will say this. I think the pull, the cards that I pull have a lot to do with where we are in the wheel. Um, you know, spring energy is young life, just having been birthed, very playful, in need of nurturing. Um, yes. You know, when when you give birth, and I don't know because I'm not uh, a mother, but uh, I have art that I give birth to. When I give when I give birth or when I start to create, I don't always know what the outcome is going to be. Um. I'm hoping that when people actually give birth to human babies, that they don't give birth and go, oh, you're a lawyer. You're going to be a lawyer. I'm going to make sure you're <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> I, I think yeah. I think what is kind of interesting is that um, that the way our system works uh, when couples are having children is you give birth and they will immediately ask you, what is this child's name? It's like, there is no lag time. There is no, there is no getting to know the child to see what name fits. Yeah. It, it does feel a little bit like a projecting onto, um, <clears throat> And what's coming to my mind right now is uh, that old Shakespeare quote, a rose is a rose. Um, by any other name, it would smell as sweet. Yeah. But I think that naming is also archetypally a, mytho a mythology in that, you know, in the creation story of the Bible, the first humans were given the task of naming everything. And... Um, there is something I think really potent about a name. There's so many people in the magical world and in the witchy community that, uh, will take a magical name. Some of them then completely change their name and they use the magical name. There are others that I have a magical name and only my coven knows it. Yeah. Um, and so there, there's something about, um, when you name a thing before you've actually interacted with it, you are projecting maybe something onto that being that is kind of, that may affect uh, what their experience is in becoming. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you get to know something first and, you know, I wonder what it would be like if instead of asking for a name right there on the birth certificate right away, um, you know, parents said, I'm going to live with this child until uh, he or she, uh, they uh, reveal to me what their name is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I always felt that it was, um, there's a point where you have your name that you're given and then a point where you choose your name. And uh, that's not something in our culture, but that's kind of how I felt. Did you do that for yourself? Um, I toy with, you know, I, uh, that's part of the reason, you know, I've added the, I didn't add it. it my name is Kenneth. So it's K-E-N-N, but I've added the N to it. Um, and over the last couple of years, I have played with the idea. Um, and it's a really interesting thing to all of a sudden go, oh, well, who am I? And what, what does this name I'm giving myself uh, represent um, it's almost you know like e a little easier to give yourself the name the title of like rune walker um, that describes what I do or part of me but to to slap a name on it um, and I just flippantly use that um, is very serious and it's to me it's like a, what do I you know what do I really want to be called um, how how does that how do I identify with that? And um, for me, it's serious because it's uh, in my t in my mind. I I make it a lifelong um, commitment, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, that's funny. I went through a name change um, when I moved up to Portland, so it's been now um, about eleven years. And, uh, you know, at birth, my parents named me Teresa and, but nobody ever called me Teresa. Uh, in fact, until 11 years ago, I was Terry. And to those who were really close to me, they even shortened that to be tear. <laughs> um, oh. and that's how I identified even my self-talk was when I would talk to myself, I would t call myself Terry. I never used Teresa there was one time when I was 10 in fourth grade that I changed schools and I thought I'd try it out. And it felt like a big name and heavy. And I, it just felt like it, it felt like uh, there was too much weight to it. And yeah. so, uh, you know, I changed my name back to Terry and just thought, okay, well, I'm Terry. Um, when I moved to Portland, I very intentionally chose to become Teresa. And part of my intention was if this feels like a big name for me, I want to know how to embody it. And so that might mean I need to expand who I think I am to be able to hold that name. Um, and that's when I think I discovered that the name Teresa means harvester. Oh yeah. And that was actually kind of important to me um, because, you know, I've talked about before I had those 16 years of night terrors. And um, one of the things that um, was an outcome of that is a very intimate relationship with the Morrigan, who is the one in battle who uh, recognizes or marks those who are going to die and helps cross them over. She's a harvester. Um, and it started a whole new evolution and growth and development of parts of myself as destroyer and how do I interact with chaos and what is death like? It's actually uh, probably when I started um, more actively embracing or accepting 
the role of death walking in my practice? Yeah. Um, do you also feel like um, there's a part of it that until you got closer to the time in your life where you would nest, like move into a harvester role, uh, you know, along the, if I'm looking at it as being made mother crone, yeah. um, that you couldn't, that that had to happen. You had to get closer to that before you really could start to understand some of that. Uh, yeah, I definitely think that for me, Teresa is a, that's uh, harvester is a big label. I had to grow into it. Yeah, and I I don't think at ten <laughs> I could embody that. Um, I do no. think that I had to wait till I was getting close to my own cronehood to be able to have that as a mantle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea what that name is for me. Maybe it's Runewalker. It, yeah. I mean, it, it could be. You know, and then that also then um, plays into I'm a junior. Uh, so, you know, how do you, how do I approach it um, without it being something that is seen as disrespectful to my family? Um that, that's something that goes through my head too. So that's an interesting uh, addition into the whole mix for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. And I think, I think that hearing your story has um, given me a different perspective of, you know, growing into it. When you say I had to uh, grew into, it, or I had to grow into it. It'll happen when it happens. Yeah. And it can't happen any sooner. Do you know what Kenneth means? I think it means handsome. Well, there you go. Well, you've already grown into that, love. Yeah, I know. So um, <laughs> everyone just paused and they went to look it up. <laughs> they went to Google it. I think no, it really does. I think mean- what they did is they went and Googled your face. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, then yes, they're like, he is quite shit. handsome. Um, it was funny, you know, I, was, I told you I was watching the... Um, the promotional video from the witches education conference, which we're teaching at and on Beltane. Right. Um, and I watched it and um, I was telling Tate today that, that it's the first time I've been that I had watched. Cause I never watched stuff back. Rarely do I, and I don't, I rarely do I listen to our podcasts back unless I'm editing. Um, <laughs> I'm a horrible mother. I just give birth to it and let it go. Um, which is probably why men don't give birth. Um, <laughs> here you go. We gave birth to you. Here you go. Uh, no, sorry. Um, refocus. It was the first time I had seen my face, um, and like almost watched it in terms of hmm, a still a little bit of a weird disconnection of it's funny that we're talking about this um i hadn't grown into all of the tattoo work yet but I, even though i know it's supposed to be there i hadn't grown into it well maybe it needs to be there so you can grow into it maybe the tattoos right. are kind of your wolf off in the distance saying 
this symbol is going to help shape you, put it on your skin and then learn how to, how to grow into it. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that, I think I mentioned a while ago that, yes, I did. Because remember I told you uh, the house that we lived in, in Portland had a glass wall in the bedroom and it was not of my choice. Yes. Um, I, I did. It was very intense for me to sit in front of the mirror and with a candle in between myself and um, meditate and journey that way. And so maybe that's something now, um, maybe that's calling me back a little bit because uh, I haven't done it a lot since I've marked my skin this way. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. So it's like, a, you know, even though I look in the mirror every day, I don't. Mostly I'm checking for bats in the cave and is my beard okay? <laughs> um, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty easy that way. But uh, maybe, that, yeah, I mean, that's re- self-reflection time is interesting. And then I do think that there's something about them, the power that they have, um, which then uh, clearly ties back to everything we've been talking about today, because um, paying attention to my body and to uh, the things that uh, are happening in my own skin um, instead of maybe out in the ethers of my imagination and brain, um, but paying attention to my body. Yeah, I keep seeing uh, the card from last week. Remember there was um, the Fae who was uh, kind of gazing into a chalice and yes. and I was talking about it's self-reflection, but it's not the kind of self-reflection um, that I normally get when I get messages about scrying. It's not like looking in the mirror to see my reflection. It's like gazing into the mirror so long that I go beyond my reflection. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, what if instead of relating to your tattoos is they were something that came from the external environment onto your skin that you're now trying to live into. What if you just asked them where inside yourself did they come from? Almost as if they weren't tattooed onto you, but they came from within you and marked your skin. Yeah. I do feel, I do feel that way. Like, especially the red line over my eye. Yeah. I feel like that came, like that came to the surface to meet the ink that came to the surface. There you go. Yeah. Very much. Hmm. Well, I'm connecting that with naming too, is can you allow the thing that is within uh, something new to start to show itself to you so you know how to draw it on your skin so you know how to claim it so you know what name to give it yeah that's a little scary I wonder if maybe that's what our wolves are howling about is they are calling forth the thing within us that needs to start emerging so that it can be observed from the outside I I think that's a really brilliant um, expansion on uh, what we talked about last week. Um, so they're <laughs> they're howling to us um, to become the thing we need to become. Also, it's really fascinating to me that um, I'm seeing you know um, the 
the three norns, you know, what was, what is becoming and what must be. So they're helping us to become, if we can hear the howl from the wolf out in front, we can then make the choices and decisions that help us to become um, that which must be. That Um, one's calling us. Yeah. Yep. And we all hear, I think that's the funny thing is I think that maybe not funny, haha, but I, we all hear it, but whether we choose to listen and act upon it or listen and ignore it. Well, maybe that's why we, or I anyway, had experienced destiny as being so troublesome. <laughs> it's like destiny is always something that you fight. It's either your choice or you're preordained and you have no choice. Uh, maybe right. it's that destiny calls you to become and you have a choice of how you answer. Yep. Yeah. Well, because you always have a choice. You always have a choice. That's one of my, you know, um, so I sat recently with uh, our friend Marguerite and um, we had lunch and then uh, we had talked about um, teaching a class together down here in Eugene um, or at least putting together a series. Um, And I know you and I have talked about that as well. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I brought for her to look at was the class I taught on Tevas, which is the room connected to tear, truth, justice. I also see it as a compass. Um, and uh, part of that class is really about, um, and something I'm very passionate about, the reason I started with this one is because um, for me within the this rune uh, and within the class that I constructed were meditations and drummings that allowed you to connect with your body and allowed you to focus on for me because i put them in the intellect intuition and instinct cauldrons in my body um allowed me and the people who attended to connect with those different ways of knowing within their body um in a you know a, a safe environment where it wasn't you know you're not making life decisions you're just becoming acquainted you're having coffee you didn't you're not marrying or going on a date with you're just having a coffee right right just to see what that's like and um so that's one of the things i'm super i i do love and i think that i will that will be some focus for me this year not just for myself but um in teaching is allowing uh for that connection to your own body um and that's uh for me really has happened a lot and keeps expanding. It, it's ever expanding and ever deepening, but uh, that was the, really the runes for me. Hmm. So uh, are you okay if I throw a monkey wrench into everything we're talking about? Of course. <laughs> Cause we're talking about it. And, and this often happens with me is that I think I'm, understanding something and then it's like this devil's advocate voice will sound in my head well what about this when it's absolutely not true so yep um so here's what i'm seeing you know we're talking about the wolf calling what's already there and you know we always have choice and the thing that started to flash in my head is do you ever see the matrix 
Uh-huh. Okay, so you remember when Neo goes to visit the Oracle for the very first time, and she, she says to him just kind of out of the blue, don't worry about the vase. And he's like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. And so yes. she's saying it, and they talk for a little bit, and then towards the end of their conversation, he gestures in a way that he knocks over a vase, it falls on the floor, and it breaks. Yes. And he's like so apologetic about it. And she's like, I told you not to worry about it. And then she says to him, what's really going to get your noodle is would you have knocked it over if I hadn't said anything? And I'm just kind of like that scene is playing in my mind in terms of like our discussions about destiny and choice and, you know, he certainly had a choice whether he was going to stand up at the end of that conversation and make that gesture. He had no idea. Um, you know, he wasn't making a conscious choice to knock over the vase. He was just, he was just doing his thing. Yeah. And yet destiny called him to knock over the vase. So I love that. We're making choices, but, and some of our choices are answering a call of destiny, even if we don't know that they are. Yeah. Well, and I think that the howl of destiny, (laughs) um, that'll be our future book. Um, (laughs) The howl of destiny speaks to every part of you, of your knowing um, and can, uh, you know, in some cultures or philosophies, you, there are eight parts to the, to you. So who's to say that the one part, uh, doesn't create the knocking over of the vase because it was, uh, wanting attention or suggested or, uh, you know, uh, becoming, um, needing recognition or needing to be recognized. Um, and I'm thinking back to, um, your story takes me back to last week when, um, I pulled the runes and there were six and the three, there was, there were three upside down, uh, three face down. And the one, I wasn't quite sure how it necessarily tied in, but the minute you told the story, I was taken back to it and it was oops. Os and Hagalas were um, on top of each other. In fact, Os was on top of Hagalas. And so this is a rabbit hole. This will be interesting. Because what happened what my, in the story that you're telling, um, if I make the connection, because it's where I went, Os was breathing out and speaking and saying the thing that then controlled, Hagalas controlled the hail or the storm. So, are we able to, if we are listening um, to the part of ourselves that is destiny, because we're all connected, can we then vocalize what we really want to have happen and have that be destiny? Are we really that powerful? Oh, so like when my wolf goes out to the equinox and howls to me, I need to sing back. 
Or are you the one that howls first? And he responds. Oh. Because I think too often we forget to howl first and wait for the response. We just think this happens a lot with people, right? And in the spiritual and metaphysical realms, I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything. Well, what are you asking for? Well, I'm not. I'm just waiting for the gods to tell me what to do. I'm just waiting for God to tell me what to do. I'm waiting for my yes. my guides to tell me what to do instead of actually howling out and waiting for that response. Yes, I had that. I encounter that all the time. In fact, I found myself saying to somebody the other day. Uh, I was at a bookstore doing readings and I usually sit in the middle of the store and just kind of offer little free samples to people in the store as they come by, unless I'm booked. Um, And somebody came up for uh, a little sample and I was asking them, well, you know, your question guides me where to look. And they said, well, I I don't really know what I want to know. Uh, You pick. And I heard myself say to them, if you don't know what you would like insight about, then the information you will get is what I want to know about you. That's scary. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, too. I was like, man, I'm never going <laughs> to my own readings without a question. Um, <laughs> but but there is something about if you don't know what you want, um, then... Uh, then I think that is a way of asking for guidance though. Um, Because who's to say that if I go, okay, well, I'm curious about this about you. Maybe that is exactly what you need to hear. Yeah. Well, I think that's where, so for me, one of the things that um, I've noticed, one of the things over the past decade that is the scariest to me at certain points, and it usually tends to happen in the, the time of year that we are just coming out of, um, patterns, people patterns, um, is uh, not knowing what I want and not being able to decide what it is I want. Yeah. But I think this, this is the first year um, where... I was given the little piece of information (laughs) that you really need to go after what you want and what you want is what excites you and what ignites your passion and what ignites your flame. Yeah. Well, um, maybe not go after the thing that excites your passion, but go after your passion. Because, I, you know, when I hear uh, and I've said this, so don't get me wrong. Um, But what's coming, I think, is more precise language for me to use with myself is that um, uh, I can be passionate about something. And once I have it, um, my passion is now quenched and I no longer care. (laughs) Um, uh, What are we talking about? I'm just kidding. Um, That's a very... I feel, I feel like that's a very Aries trait because once we've consumed it, we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but there's there's something about stop thinking that a thing is going to satisfy your passion. Follow your passion. And your passion, uh, if I start following just my passion, what I notice is my passion takes on many, many forms. So when I focus on the thing being the satisfaction to my passion, 
I also create a reality for myself. And once I have experienced that thing, I'm now back in the place of kind of, okay, now I'm disappointed or disenchanted or whatever. Yeah. But instead, if what I do is really focus on the passion, well, then that doesn't mean just one thing is going to satisfy that passion. It means that I can start to experience how many different forms my passion shows up as. Yes. And I think if I were to clarify what I had said before and, and make it uh, actually more precise, it would be choose. If I'm looking at my choices in life, it's, it's looking at choosing, making choices that actually um, feed me and making choices like if I have choice A or choice B, which one does the magic ignite? Which one does the, that magical feeling of passion and excitement create? It might not be the one that creates the most money at the moment, but right. that's the one I should follow. And what happens if the only options you can perceive don't ignite passion at all? Then we go to a different restaurant where they offer different food. I like that. <laughs> Uh, my first thought was we go to a different bar and see if there's any cuter guys there but hey whatever <laughs> yeah yeah I so think that's, I, that feels yeah I like that that uh, you know where are we howling in relationship to the wolf we send out like what is uh, where's the uh, the passion in us that motivates the howl and communicates, even if we don't know what we're saying, there's a passion yep. that just can't be contained and you got to give it voice. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I think 2020 is going to be the year of embracing passion. I like that. So, uh, as we're wrapping up here, I guess that leaves us with, uh, again, thank you everyone who listens and um, for uh, continuing to do so. And if our conversation today is sparking any passion for you, we sure would love to hear about uh, how passion is calling you. And uh, you can always get in touch with us through our Facebook page, Web of Resonance, or email at webofresonancepod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Um, or, of course, through the Anchor app. You can leave us a little voicemail and we will respond to you. And don't forget to, whatever app you're listening to us on, hit like and follow so that you know when we come out with a new episode, which is usually on Sundays. Um, uh, but I almost missed it yesterday because I just totally fucking spaced it. <laughs> and... Um, uh, yeah, because that, that just helps us know, um, you know, where you're listening. Because we love to, I love to go on the little app. It tells me, like, there's someone in Uruguay listening. There's someone in Russia. There's someone, you know, I love, I just love that. I, um, it lets me know that our web is getting um, bigger and bigger. And I, I really, I really like that interaction. So I appreciate you listening today. And um, I hope you guys have a great week. Yeah, have a great week.